to the, the liturgical calendar. Now you guys sit with uh, the liturgical church calendar often and process and explore where we should be as a church. But according to the, the liturgical church calendar, season of Advent came to close as we celebrated uh, Christmas, the first coming of Jesus into the world, Emmanuel, God with us, the great slayer of dragons, the darkness dispelling light of the world, the hope of joy in the gloom of anguish, the story of someday becoming this day. We, we spent the better part of a month filled with great anticipation Leading up to Christmas Day, the celebration of the birth of Christ. And then comes December 26th, the ultimate buzzkill, right? The tree once adorned with light, soon to be taken down. Stockings soon to be packed away for another year. Christmas playlist soon to be set aside for something a little more calendar appropriate. I know we all land differently on that. Let's stay unified as we talk about that together as a church in terms of when that happens for each of us. Um, but but for, for many of us, uh, December 26, it exposes the longing of the human heart, the desire for something better, which is why churches oftentimes come back around to one last Advent sermon on the other side of, of Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, not, not so much focused on the first coming of Christ, but rather the second coming of Christ, the second Advent. Regardless of, of how any of us feels about it, it's a new year, a year in which both happiness and sorrow are sure to come, and with the sorrow, a longing for something better. I'm not sure I've floated a C.S. Lewis quote during this series, and with the giant lamp post over to my right, I feel like we, we have to at least once. And so uh, in, in his Mere Christianity, Lewis says, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. It's that other world that I want to attempt to, to draw our attention to as we embark upon a new year with the hope that the cry of our hearts would in ever increasingly be over the course of the next 12 months. Amen, come Lord Jesus. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 3, Isaiah chapter 9, and Revelation uh, verse 21. Similar to, to what we did on Christmas Eve, uh, we're going to look at a few passages of Scripture in that order that I just mentioned. So if it's helpful for you to go ahead and bookmark those three places in the Bible, go for it. If you just wanna track as we go. Um, if you don't have a Bible in your possession, everything will be up on the screen behind me. You can track in that way as well. As I mentioned several times leading up to Christmas, Advent is a season to uh, joyfully unwrap the gifts of Christmas past in celebration of the first coming of Christ. And at the same time, it's a season to longingly consider the gifts of Christmas future in anticipation of the second coming of Christ. For the better part of the last month or so, uh, we lived in that tension as we explored a number of longings that fill those, uh, the hearts of those made in the image of God. The longing for justice, the hunger for relationships, the quest for spirituality, and the delight in beauty. As we gather together on Christmas Eve, for those of you who are able to, to be here or join via the digital platform, what, what I attempted to do was to take all of those uh, gifts of Christmas past that, that we had considered in the weeks leading up to Christmas and bring them before us in collective fashion like a pile of presents under the tree that we might leave this place on Christmas Eve in joyful celebration and gratitude for the many ways that Christ has already met uh, our longings in his first coming. Well, this morning, my aim is to do that very same thing as it pertains to the return of Jesus to make all things new. As we gather together this morning, I want to take those, 
those gifts of Christmas future that we've considered over the past month or so and bring them before us in collective fashion too, like a pile of presents under the tree. In this case, that we might leave this place in hopeful anticipation for the many ways that Christ will meet our longings in his second coming. And I wanna do that by bringing before us the same two glorious word pictures that we considered on Christmas Eve this time with the second advent in mind, the return of heaven's king. The first word picture tied into that earliest of promises that God made to redeem his people. In Genesis 3, picking up in verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Right, as we looked at on Christmas Eve, this is the famous declaration that God made to Satan in response to sin's entrance into the world. That first announcement of the gospel, the good news, God's promise to humiliate the serpent Satan, the villain in this divine uh, redemptive historical drama, the fire-breathing dragon who man is not to trust, but rather to treat as an adversary. And with that, Genesis 3, the declaration of a coming rescuer, a descendant of Eve who would ultimately crush the serpent's head, yet not without the bruising of the hero himself. Where do we see that bruisable body first? Answer, wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. That's the first word picture that we looked at on Christmas Eve and that I wanna bring before us again this morning, that of a serpent-crushing, dragon-slaying rescuer. The second of the two word pictures associated with one of the more familiar Christmas passages of the Old Testament, which we too considered when we last gathered together. Isaiah chapter nine, which begins with these words. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish, in the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil." As we looked at on Christmas Eve, Isaiah 9 opens up not with the imagery of dragons and dragon slayers, but rather with a picture of Israel enshrouded in darkness, suffering under the mighty hand of God's judgment in the wake of her failure to walk in covenant obedience. A darkness leaving her, Isaiah says, in the gloom of anguish as the Assyrian Empire threatens to overcome her. But God promises not to leave his people there, declaring that darkness will not have the final word, that anguish will not have the final word, that a light will shine into the darkness, that where there was once sorrow, there will be, there will be joy. And Isaiah goes on to say, for the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Right here, Isaiah declares that, that God's gonna do something a lot like what happened in Gideon's day, that God's gonna show himself strong through weakness, victorious in apparent defeat. How is God gonna do it? How's he gonna bring about this great work of salvation? Well, Isaiah goes on to say, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
Now the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It's one of the the many prophecies of the Old Testament that points to the birth of Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. Described here not as a slayer of dragons, but rather as a light shining into the darkness. The hope of joy in the gloom of anguish. As we talked about throughout this Advent season, for those of you who have been around with us, the world in which we live is full of echoes. Reminders of the way God intended things to be. And hearing those echoes, we're, we're reminded that what we really long for is God himself something more than the reflection. As we've considered throughout the course of the last month or so, we long for justice in the world, that longing and echo of God's voice. We long for justice because God is just. He's the only one who can fully and finally set things right. We hunger for relationships made in the likeness of a relational God of intra-Trinitarian love, created to know and be known by the one in whose image we've been made. And by others who bear that very same image. We, we quest for spirituality, searching for meaning and purpose, grasping for satisfaction in this life and in this world, all the while sensing that there must be more because the truth is that there is something more. We delight in beauty as gazing upon the beauty of God. It's what we were made for. It's with those longings in mind that we looked under the tree on Christmas Eve, so to speak, at at the glorious gifts of Christmas past. And it's with those same longings in mind that I invite you to consider the glorious gifts of Christmas future this morning with the imagery of Genesis chapter three and Isaiah chapter nine in mind. Christ Jesus, the great slayer of dragons, the darkness dispelling light of the world, the hope of joy in the gloom of anguish. Get that imagery in your mind as it pertains to the longing for justice We know that the serpent Satan loves injustice and corruption. It's faithfully committed to warring against righteousness in the land. Happy with a a darkened world of gloom and anguish, Isaiah 9, a world in which the very places that people should feel the safest are not always safe. As it pertains to the hunger for relationships, we know that the serpent Satan is happy to see God's image bearers, now God's enemies. Perfect harmony between man and God ruined by sin. He's happy to see the fracturing of relationships between people on a human level, a darkened world of gloom and anguish filled with dividing walls of hostility and relationships unreconciled. As it pertains to the quest for spirituality, we know that Satan is happy to see people groping in the darkness, grasping for meaning and purpose in the things of this world. A darkened world of gloom and anguish filled with people always and forever clinging to the echoes instead of the voice. As it pertains to the delight in beauty, we know that the serpent Satan is delighted with a world filled with the ugliness of sin and is committed to warring against our soul's longing for a true sense of of beauty. A darkened world of gloom and anguish, Isaiah 9, filled with people failing to believe that truest and deepest beauty is found in the Lord himself, the triune God of beauty. Believing not that this God of beauty must break into our story, but that, that beauty must internally break out from us if the ugliness of this world is to be overcome. The crafty serpent, Genesis 3, loves the deep darkness and the gloom of anguish, Isaiah 9. That's why he hates Christmas, the story of someday becoming this day. 
Luke 2, we looked at it on Christmas Eve. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. How, how glorious it must have been for those who didn't miss it to look down on that tiny baby resting in a feeding trough and to know that the promised dragon slayer had finally arrived. That the light of the world had entered into the deep darkness Good news of great joy for those overcome by the gloom of anguish, Isaiah 9. And with that, the many gifts of Christmas past that we considered as we gathered together on Christmas Eve. Which I commend to you if you, if you weren't here that evening or if you weren't able to engage via the, the digital platform. Is it something of a part one that finds its pairing in this morning's part two. The focus of this morning on the gifts of Christmas future. The second coming of Christ. As we give our attention to what it means to, as I've said before in the last few weeks, live in the tension of the time in between. That yes, we celebrate the inauguration of God's kingdom in the first coming of Jesus, born amidst the feeding troughs of Bethlehem. If you're not a Christian, let me just stop here for a second before we go any further and say, I, I invite you to look to those gifts of Christmas past, the first coming of Christ into the world. Know that God is pleased to pardon the iniquity of rebellious sinners counting them righteous in his sight, but not on the basis of human merit, not on the basis of human morality, not on the basis of religious box checking. The truth of Christmas is that Jesus was born to die. The hope of ruined sinful humanity, the story, as I've said before, of a cradle always meant to lead to a cross and ultimately to a crown that lost sinners might be saved by grace. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior, a rescuer, who is Christ the Lord. Yes, we're far more sinful than we ever imagined, but we're far more loved than we ever dared dream. If you're not a Christian, I invite you to repent of your sins and to turn to Jesus and to trust in him for salvation. Know the one in whom and with whom we were created to experience daily life-transforming communion. And if you are a Christian... Yes, we celebrate the inauguration of God's kingdom in the first coming of Jesus, the birth of Christ our Savior. But we also look forward with great longing to the day when heaven's king will return to fully and finally fulfill our every longing in the consummation of his eternal kingdom. With the anticipation of a child waiting for Christmas. Because we know that we haven't yet received all the gifts that are under the tree. Longing like ancient Israel for the coming of the Messiah. In our case, not his first coming, but his second coming. And so I just want to give you some of the imagery. On Christmas Eve, we moved from Genesis 3 and Isaiah 9 into Luke chapter 2, the story of the birth of Jesus. This morning, we're going to move from Genesis 3 and Isaiah 9 into Revelation 21. I just want to give you a picture of the new heaven and the new earth. And my hope is that we leave this place this morning longing for the return of heaven's king all the more. If you pick up in Revelation 21, verse 1, John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The book of Revelation, it's an unveiling of the king, an unveiling of his throne, his kingdom, his victory over evil, giving us a glimpse of the most glorious happily ever after that awaits the children of God. The earliest chapters of the Bible uh, declare that creation itself was cursed as a result of sin's entrance into the world. As Paul says in Romans 8, subjected to futility, in bondage to corruption, groaning in the pains of childbirth. John sees something very different here. A new heaven and a new earth, the former things having passed away, John says. Creation itself transformed and freed from the effects of sin, adorned with adjectives suited for eternity, you might say. As it pertains to the longing for justice, wickedness is pervasive in this fallen, broken world so that the safe places are not always safe. That's true. And the brokenness is not just around us, but within us as we don't always live in perfect covenant obedience, just like ancient Israel. And yet injustice will not win in the end. Corruption will not win in the end because there awaits the people of God a second advent. The return of heaven's king to execute justice and righteousness in the land, doing away with corruption and injustice forever in the casting out of his enemies, those former things having passed away, ushering the true citizens of his kingdom, a global citizenship into the bliss of the new heaven and earth. 2 Peter 3.13 says it this way, new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, justice dwells. As it pertains to the hunger for relationships, until Jesus returns, there will, there will inevitably be broken relationships in this world. Estranged spouses, quarreling family members, warring nations. And yet, there awaits us a second advent, a day in which God will dwell with his people and broken relationships on a human level shall be no more. Notice it says, and they will be his people. There is a plurality and it will be beautiful and reconciled forever in the eternal kingdom of God. As it pertains to the quest for spirituality, until Christ returns, there will always be the temptation to grasp, to cling to the echoes instead of the voice, to push God to the periphery of our lives, settling for less than what we were made for. Yes, that's true. And yet there awaits us a second advent, the return of Jesus to fully and finally usher us into his eternal kingdom, a world in which we shall grasp at lesser things no more. Forever, think about this, enthralled, not with the echoes of idols, but with the voice of God himself, as we enjoy making much of him forever. As it pertains to the delight in beauty, there's a brokenness within us and around us. Our soul's longing for beauty met with the ugliness of sin. Yes and amen to that. And yet, John declares, there awaits us a second advent, the return of Jesus to make all things new, not some things new, All things new, all things beautiful, and we shall see his face, Revelation 22, verse 4, and he will be just as visible and real as he was when he came to lowly Bethlehem. Communion with God, intimacy with God, enjoyment with God and of God, forever gazing upon the beauty we've always been meant to gaze upon, the beauty of the Lord. And with that, eternal safety and security, eternal shelter and refuge, no more pain, no more sorrow, 
No more waves of sickness keeping people out of places like these on the Lord's day. No more ugliness. No more death. Safe in the arms of our Father. We're meant to feel this deep sense of longing for Canaan. The great happily ever after to come when when Jesus returns. A longing that nothing in this world can fill. Nothing in 2022 will fill it. Doesn't matter what it is. A longing that, that God promises to fully and finally fulfill through the gifts of Christmas future that await us in the second advent. How can we, how can we trust that, that God's promise will come true? John goes on to say, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, write this down, put it in writing. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I'm the Alpha, God says. I'm the first word before there was another word. I'm the Omega, God says. I'm the final word. It is done. In my timeline, it's as if it's already finished, God says. My promises always come to fulfillment. Always. Right? The passage we, we looked at in Isaiah 9 It ends with these words in the wake of God's promise of a coming Messiah. Isaiah says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That word zeal in the original language means to become intensely red. It's a burst of emotion. Like a husband's jealousy for the love of his bride. It's a description of God's passion for for his glory and the eternal joy of his people. That the same Jesus who made an appearance in a lowly manger 2,000 years ago will come again. We know this because God was zealous to send his son the first time. The light of salvation dawning on our darkness in the birth of Jesus Christ. With the same zeal, God promises to send his son again, bringing his redemptive plan to its consummate end. And if you take that imagery of Genesis 3 and Isaiah 9, what that means is that he will deliver the final head-crushing blow to the evil serpent. He will dispel the darkness once and for all. He will replace the gloom of anguish with a forever and full joy. Eternal, unending bliss in the presence of our all-satisfying Savior and King. And get this, there will be no December 26th to follow it. Won't that be glorious? The tree will always stay up. Yes, Christmas might be over, but Christmas story is not over. So my prayer for us is that we would long for the second coming of Christ this year with the anticipation of a child waiting for Christmas, knowing that there are gifts that still await us, the promised gifts of Christmas future for we who belong to Jesus. Again, we have no idea what 2022 is gonna bring our way. If the author of Ecclesiastes is right, chapter three, there's sure to be Mourning and weeping, and there's sure to be laughter and dancing, some sort of mixture. I think what will surely be proved yet again is that there's nothing in this world that can ultimately satisfy in the way that Jesus will when he returns a second time to set all things right. And so I pray that we would be a people who, who look to that second coming and, and who are eagerly ready for it, longing for it. Yes, we have work to do right now for the glory of Christ, for his kingdom, the building of his church. But I pray that we would never be able to leave that tension of this feeling of a longing sense for the Canaan that, that awaits us.